Brain Buster Boys are brought to you by Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. Uh, oh, hang on, my phone's ringing. I have got to uh, just get rid of this. You are all good. We can edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll right. keep it in for Answer character. It's a nice ring. Yeah. Hey, I'm in the middle of doing a podcast. Uh, uh, is it is in the morning? All right. Okay, I may call you right. Okay, thanks, Mike. Bye. That wasn't Mike Brown, was it? <laughs> no, that was my my media business has been picking up a little bit here this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know people. Like you guys and other people want to share. You ready? Let's do it. Welcome to the Brain Buster Boys, episode 53, part two of Bengals Bonanza Week. My name is Brett Jagger, along with Beaumont Rand. Ooh, boy. Um, Ooh you know boy, how we, day. day. You know how we've been talking about the sinking in thing and how I've referred to it as like the, the opposite of the grieving process, like the process of elation? Yeah. It's, it, it's here. Yeah. Like, 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 <laughs> yeah. like, 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 um, I um, just remember um, going into hometown pizza to, to pick up lunch today and just seeing the sports center uh, panel um, out in LA by SoFi yep. stadium and seeing the LA and the B logo and them talking about the teams being there. And yep. I got chills and I was like, Holy crap. Yeah. I watched I an interview that Rich Eisen did last night with both Stafford and Burrow. And yeah, it's definitely uh, setting in and I'm now to the point where I'm finally getting nervous about the game, you know, Um, you know, I still think win or lose, like, you know, what a fucking run. It's just been incredible. One of the best things, but uh, yeah, I know uh, Sunday is going to be very nerve wracking, you know, never um, like we talked about the Louisville championship the other day. Like that's the only other thing like this I've experienced. But as I said, this is so much bigger for me. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to be reacting. Oh, yeah. And um, now that you mentioned that, I actually wrote this down on my phone because I had a thought about the comparison between the Louisville championship run and this. Okay. Um, and sort of like an evolution of that now that you mentioned yeah. that. And I wrote that the personal stakes within me were a bit higher for L, but the global stakes are higher for the Bengals. Everything outside of me, it, like this is bigger than sure. like me and my lifelong fandom. This is something that, you know, I, like, you know, that is, you know, that you can feed off other people a little bit more. Something that's increased no my doubt. Bengals fandom. My Louisville fandom was probably at its highest before that. You know, now yeah. my Bengals fandom has never been higher. Absolutely. Yeah. Great way of putting it. Not be, I think the Super Bowl in general is just bigger than the NCAA tournament oh, final. You just yeah. from like a national spectrum of you know non-international fans watching you know, yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure but uh 
Yeah, so we're excited. To, uh, we have our interview with Jack Brennan, who was former, he was the Bengals public, uh, public relations director for 23 years and my boss for two plus years when I worked there full time as a temp, I guess. Um, and he also covered the Bengals as a beat writer for nine years prior to that. So um, he's certainly going to lend a, a unique perspective on things as, since he was you know, so close to the team for so long. Yeah, some fascinating stories from inside the franchise, uh, just all around like, you know, one of those sports guys who've been in the business, been around sports a long time, just to sit down and listen to him sort of spin a yarn and just talk about the various eras. Because the Bengals, I mean, yep. you know, as you'll hear in this interview, you know, he came on in the 80s when the Bengals were, were, were hot shit. And then he yep. went through, you know, perhaps one of the worst, you know, periods any football team's ever been through professionally. Mm-hmm through Marvin and now, and um, to hear that story through um, his lens was fascinating. And I'm excited for everyone who's about to hear it. No doubt. And he has some good stories about, you know, former Bengals coach, Sam Weish, who yeah. was the coach the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl in 1989, um, you know, talks a lot about just players he enjoyed working with. Um, and like you said, just some nice, you know, just good inside stories, you know, things about Mike Brown, yeah, Lewis, yeah. et cetera. So, you know, things you don't get just from your everyday uh, person. Cause you know, Jack obviously had, access that nobody else had you know he was the right hand man to Mike Brown and Marvin Lewis and you know he talks about kind of Carson Palmer and bringing him along so just fascinating stuff and I think I mentioned it as I introduced him but no joke Jack is definitely just one of my favorite people in the world just to talk to to be around you know like you said he can certainly spin a yarn yeah and uh he also uh talks a little wrestling and uh Mm -hmm. how he he was in Memphis and interviewed Jerry the King Lawler and then uh he talks about his favorite Dallas wrestling character from going to shows in Dallas in the 60s so uh some fun wrestling tidbits as well. Yeah, I guess I don't want to spoil the character, but I wish yeah, like, there's I a character like that in AEW. Like, that sounds yeah. hilarious. Yeah, just yeah. some classic 60s wrestling stuff, which yeah. was really good. That's definitely a little toward the end. But, uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy this. And uh, who day, baby? Who day? Okay, we're back with Brain Buster Boys Bengals Bonanza Part 2. And boy, oh boy, am I thrilled about this one, Beaumont. We are back with Jack (laughs) Brennan. Jack (laughs) Brennan, my former boss at the Bengals. He was the Bengals PR director for 23 seasons. And before that, covered the team as a beat writer for nine. And one of my favorite people in the whole world, Jack Welcome to the Brain Buster Boys. Thanks, Brett. I'm uh, glad to be here. So now that the Pro Bowl is behind us, and I know that was the biggest thing on your radar here, how are you really feeling about the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl right now? Uh, I'm I'm predicting a victory uh, just because uh, I think uh, our number nine is better than their number nine. I think that's a pretty good 
mm-hmm. putting it there. Um, so, Bo, I know you had the question about just kind of what it felt like when it all set in. Yeah. So, oh, oh, yeah. So, um, you know, particularly on our last episode when Brett and I were talking about the experience of this Super Bowl happening, you know, or, 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 or even in a larger sense, this playoff run and just, you know how like the stages of grief are, there's like denial, acceptance, da, 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 or, you know, you go through that, but this was sort of like the stages of elation, you know, and, and, and we went through them and we were, we were just kind of shocked and, and didn't believe it. And it took a while for it to set in. So uh, I was curious, what was your process for kind of coming to realize, oh man, the Bengals are legitimately playing for the Super Bowl. And that's after many bad, bad years that you yes. saw as well. Uh, the, the decade of the 90s was about as bad as any team has ever uh, experienced. But um, I would say I, as the regular season ended and the playoffs began, I really thought they had almost as good a chance as any team in the AFC. I guess I thought Kansas City would be a formidable hurdle, but they'd already beaten them before. And uh, I think parity went to a new level this year. I don't think there was a team that anybody thought was just uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Let's see. There was the Raiders, and then who am I forgetting? Who'd they beat next? Tennessee. Tennessee, right? I, you know, Tennessee was the top seed, but nobody thought they were a great, great, explosive, inevitable Super Bowl team. And uh, saw what Ryan Tannehill really showed his true colors in that <laughs> one too. Because, like yeah. you said, to start it off, I mean, when it gets this late, like. Having a great quarterback, obviously, uh, certainly is a key factor here. Mm-hmm. I did not give up on them when they were down 21-3 to against the Chiefs. I thought, well, boy, this is looking pretty darn bad. But, you know, there was still time left in the first half, and then the first half ended so promisingly. And, uh, shoot, they just dominated them in the second half. And I would say in all of your years with the club, you probably never would have had that attitude thinking down 21-3 on the, you know, the same old Bengals mantra that we're all used to in a lot of your tenure there and even the years after. So, but you're right. Like this team has proven that they've been able to come back from the toughest situations. And Bo said it when we watched the game together um, on that, when they were driving down at the end to either try and score or get the field goal at the end of the first half, we're like, well, this is probably going to be it. And Bo's like, well, maybe they'll fuck it up. And we're like, (laughs) I don't know if they're going to fuck it up. And what do you know? Good old Eli Apple of all people made the play to stop it. Yeah. You didn't, they would, but darned if they didn't mess it up. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Well, so we just want to kind of get into all things Bengals. Obviously, you were around the team for a very, very long time in two different roles, first as a beat writer and then as the longtime PR director. And as we said, you saw a lot of bad teams, a lot of bad years, pretty much the whole decade of the 90s. So, you know, I know this is a pretty loaded question here, but – uh One thing we're going to do a video on later this week, and we asked Tabari this yesterday, um, is 
then you can we can start with best some of the best moments of the Bengals when you were covering the team or you know working for the team for 23 years what were some of your favorite moments oh wow uh could have prepped you a little bit but i figure you're pretty good at uh, coming with stuff uh, coming up with stuff on the fly here and i know that this is the harder question is favorite and best moments because uh there's certainly a lot of a lot of negativity for the 23 years and the nine even before that yeah i remember i just remember a uh uh, a Marvin year uh, when they went into Pittsburgh and uh, beat the Steelers like 13 to three or something, just a very dominating defensive performance. That was one of those Marvin playoff years. And uh, I thought at the time this was a win I had not seen very often. Uh, I'm going to bring up one of your favorite stories and I, I won't name the person who, uh, who authored it, but you know, I've told you the story of being down on the sidelines at a Bengals game against Pittsburgh. And uh, they were down like, I don't know, a touchdown or less. And it was like fourth down from the 10 yard line, right at the end of the game. And this uh, very acerbic Bengals staffer looked out and he said, we didn't get to be three and 10 by making plays like this. <laughs> I've actually got that written down here as one of my many things to ask. <laughs> and of course, they didn't make it. No, they did not make it. Yeah. So that, so those were clearly the expectations back then was, mm-hmm. you know, to not make plays like that. Cause they didn't get to be three and 10 by making them. I'm not doing real good for you here on best times. Uh, of course, uh, uh, best times as a PR really didn't happen until Marvin came because yeah. uh, uh, they were deep in the doldrums in 94 when I joined the team and, and stayed there for a long time. I think, uh, I think I went 0 and 8 as PR director before I won one. Uh, the, there were just so many good and interesting uh, in the 80s. Um, I like to say uh, Boomer and Sam Weish and I were all in our first year in Bengal land the same year, 1984. Okay. uh, Those teams, well, of course, there was the Super Bowl team that came on after the horrible strike. But those teams were just so full of personality and controversy and excitement uh, with Sam. Boomer and uh, Stanley Wilson and all that stuff. Uh, uh, and the writers all had great access back then. So those were just some roller coaster, really fun years. Got a good Sam Weiss story. I know obviously the one a lot of Bengals fans know was the whole kind of shitting on Cleveland and things of that sort. But he certainly seemed to be a, a fiery guy. Um, you know, compared to Marvin, who is definitely a little more kind of toned down and calm. So what what good Sam Weiss stories you got? Uh, well, let me just say that I, I, I liked Sam a lot. Like most people, in the end, you could not but like Sam. But 
Uh, I also said, uh, and maybe this word is too strong, but uh, he, he was one of the, I'll just say, strangely interesting. He was the, like the most strangely interesting person in sports I ever covered on a daily basis. And uh, maybe this kind of sums it up. There was one of his many uh, dust-ups with the officiating and uh, one of the greatest things ever and the most unique uh, post-game press conference or a unique post-game press conference was when Sam blasted Jerry Glanville after the 61-7 to game where he kicked a field goal. The news conference after the uh, 61-7 game I don't think has ever been duplicated in the NFL with one coach ripping another coach at his post-game news conference the way Sam did that with Jerry Glanville. Uh, writers just had their jaws dropped. Yeah, and I've been to enough press conferences over my tenure that uh, they're usually uh, not very combative in that sense. But no. it seemed like Sam definitely, like you said, he definitely had a bit of a different attitude. The one I was going to tell you about after one of his many uh, controversial disagreements with officials at his post-game news conference, he just went on and on about how horrible the officiating was and the league should be ashamed of this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I went up to him afterward, and I said, uh, worried that uh, all those comments you just made are going to get you fined by the league? And he was on his high horse about, Oh, I don't care about that. I'm just out for truth and right and whatever, you know, very uh, uh, high dudgeon for Sam. And I said, okay. And of course, then we printed all the comments. Uh, and uh, I, as my due diligence as a reporter, I had to call the league uh, really every day in that week. Is What's up with Sam? Is there anything up with Sam Weish? day or two later, I was in his office. And in those days, you could walk around the whole place uh, without an escort or whatever and anywhere you want. And I was in his office and he starts to get a little sarcastic and he goes, I, uh, I hear you've been calling the league, uh, uh, asking the league, when are you guys going to find Sam White? And I was like, Sam Wright didn't do that. I just have to call him to find out if anything is going on. And he kept going and going and going and going. And finally it got to the point where he goes, and get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did. And But Sam was just such a great guy overall. The next day he was fine. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. And as you can tell, we are uncensored here, so you oh, can yeah. fire off as many fucks oh, as you want. He just needed that exclamation point. I'll you fire know. as many fucks as you younger generation, but uh, <laughs> uh, and I don't know how much longer you want to keep talking about Sam, but that's an endless mine of information. And uh, I remember once when he went off in a new in the middle of a news conference. On Paul Doherty. Oh yeah, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he just went on and on and on and on. Uh, I And uh, so I did a sidebar in our coverage the next day. I just said, yesterday during his post-game news conference, Sam Weish spoke for seven minutes and 22 seconds without one question. Here is what he said, Colton. And then I just transcribed the whole thing. That's great. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, hey, I guess do we want to shift to some maybe more fun uh, bad Bengals moments? Yeah. It, uh, and one thing I'm kind of curious about as we kind of hedge from this successful 80s era down into the 90s, you know, uh, Jack, what do you think were kind of the main contributing things to that like very swift, precipitous downfall um, into the nightings, having been there? Oh. Well, I, yeah, this was the second Super Bowl. I wasn't around for the first one. Yeah. I hesitate to think I can analyze what happened or why what happened, but uh, the team right after the 88 Super Bowl was a very interesting team. It went 8-8. Eight and eight. They outscored their opponents uh, – here, I'll look it up. You don't mind if I look it up. Yeah. Oh, please, by all no. means. I have a couple of books here. I love it. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, they went eight and eight, finished last place AFC Central, uh, which was five teams then. And they outscored their opponents 404 to 285. Wow. So that is significant. Yeah. They would like, uh, beat. Tampa Bay 56 to 20 one week, but then a marginal Colts come in the next week and beat them by three. So they had a, a number of just total blowout victories, but they couldn't sustain anything. And I, I, I researched that at the time. And I don't know if it's still exactly true, but basically that was the highest point plus point differential of any NFL team that didn't have a winning record. In Interesting. Mm-hmm. Does that still hold up today? Do you know? I think it does. Wow. But I yeah. wouldn't swear to it. Uh, and then, of course, in 90, they clawed their way into the playoffs. Uh, yep. Like a three-way tie with the, the Browns and the uh, – and the Oilers. And that was the last playoff victory until this year, correct? In the first round and then lost to the Raiders in the Kevin Walker game in the L.A. Coliseum, which uh, nobody thought was a big deal injury at the time. Yeah, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Jackson. Kevin Walker was the guy that made the tackle. And then – Then the wheels fell off. Then the wheels fell off. Sam went three and 13. He went in the office with Mike Brown at the end of the season for their little end of the year uh, conference. And you know, Mike, he's not eager to fire people. Uh, I, I really believe that, well, they got into it in that meeting. And I truly believe that Sam walked out of the office. Sam truly believed he had been fired and Mike truly believed that 
quit. And uh, that perception was never resolved where Sam and Mike both got over it and were uh, uh, good friends after that for many years. But then came on Dave Shula, who never could get things together. And uh, then Bruce Coslett, who had a little brief honeymoon. We thought Bruce was really going to do it, but uh, he didn't. And then, uh, then Dick LeBeau. Uh, yep. We little- heard a little bit about that from Tabari because he worked yeah. with you in the 2000 season and then mm-hmm. transferred into, into LeBeau that year as well. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed Tabari. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, one little trivia note is that by one percentage point, Dick LeBeau actually had a poorer head record than Shula, even though even though Shula's the poster boy, unfortunately, for losing. And, uh, and then LeBeau was gone after the 2-14, and 14, at that point, worst ever Bengals season in 2002. And then Marvin was hired. Marvin, went, I think I'm right, Marvin went to the playoffs seven times. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And including five in a row. And uh, I, I really, I didn't dislike any of the Bengals head coaches, but Marvin was my favorite. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Marvin as a human, uh, despite all the pressures and prestige of being a head coach. Uh, well, you experienced, Marvin was the coach when you were there, right? Yep. And he was nothing but great to me as well. <laughs> Gracious to everyone. Yeah. I really admire him for that. I've actually got a quote here from Marvin about you. Just a very short one here. He just said, his demeanor was very calming and it helped to calm me. I'm grateful and indebted. So uh, I I pulled some uh, stuff from the old, uh, the retirement article that Butch Hobson wrote about you way back when. There's a lot, a lot of good stuff to pull from there. I really owe Hobson for that article. He really, he laid it on thick for me. Good but, one. And any listeners out there, if you want to check it out, Google Jack Brennan, a salute to Sarge, and uh, you'll get the full Jack Brennan story after your retirement. Well, you might explain to him that it was a strangely constructed article. It was, it was witty for those who were in the know. But yes, Jeff tried to construct it as a parody of one of our weekly news releases. Yep. But back to Marvin. Uh, well, you go to the playoffs five years in a row, uh, and and lose and down every time. That just really works a number on your fan base. Oh yeah. Um, how do you get fired up again for the next season? when you think, oh, we're going to go through all this again and uh, then we're going to lose again. So that was – and and honestly, uh, we never came close to – really came close to winning any of those games. One, the second Texans game I feel like was close. The, the Steelers. And, uh, the, and the, then the, 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 the 2015 yeah. Steelers. Steelers. Yeah. The Steelers game, yes. Uh, yeah. But, uh, 
That one's a special kind of dagger, though, you know. Yeah, that was a, if we're, a if special we're kind of worse. Words. If yeah. we're talking worst moments, that's got to be right at the top of the list, especially that, for any recent Bengals fans. The Jeremy that, Hill fumble. Boston yeah. Bengals history, I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that Chargers one also has a, has a special kind of stinging sensation. Yeah. Yeah. When the Chargers came in and, and beat them. And that was my mm-hmm. first year with the team. And remember, we went 8-0 at home, and we had beaten the Chargers on the road in December already. Oh, I didn't remember that, but you're right. And that was Gio Bernard had the fumble going into halftime, and then Ronnie Brown ran ran amok on the Bengals in the second half. You got a better memory than I do, but here I got a fun question about these losses here. Uh, what's the most like nondescript forgettable one out of all of those seven losses? You know, the one that's the hardest to because oh. each of them have their own like kind of you know narrative, this like bad turn it took, like the Carson Palmer ACL injury, you know. Well, I'm 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 basing it here just on on games that yeah. God damn, we should have won that game. Uh-huh. Chargers would be number two, and number one was when Mark Sanchez came in yeah. with pedestrian Jets team uh, and beat us. They beat us two weeks in a row. Yeah, Shane Graham missed a big field goal in that one, oh, yeah. I remember. Mm-hmm. Well, and then a, no- a nondescript, the 2014 Colts game, oh, which yeah. I was at that one as yeah. well. Remember, A.J. Green was hurt. Like there were a few big injuries. I know AJ being one of them, and like Rex Burkhead was mm-hmm. like one of our starting slot receivers that game. Yeah. It just felt like one going in that we didn't even really have much of a chance. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, that that team was pretty beat up and spent by the time it got to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eleven and twelve were both against the Texans. I believe the first one was the immortal TJ Yates who had already beaten the Bengals in a comeback in the regular season and then beat them again in the playoffs, which that one was the first year. But, you know, you never want to go down to TJ Yates in a playoff mm-hmm. game. No, but as you know, the Bengals have a history of uh, great games against them by nondescript quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like Mike, the Jets, Mike White this yes. year. Uh, I th- Yeah, this year, uh, boy, Mike White was great that day, but he didn't touch the rest of the year, did he? Nope, he sure didn't. And that was coming on the heels of that incredible win in Baltimore, which put the Bengals at five and two. And it's like, oh, we've got the Jets next. That's an easy win. When we were watching it at our friend's house and he was losing his mind, you know, like it's, (laughs) it's a very memorable moment in the season. Like where we were like, really? Like, is this it? But this year's team overcame all that. They certainly did. Uh, I couldn't remember if it was 2008 or 2010, one of those really bad years, though, where the team's slogan for the year was fighting to the end. I know you always got to kick it. That was 2010, the, uh, the, the most dysfunctional, toxic Bengals team ever with, uh, well, Carson was already fed up and Chad was starting to ring and T.O. was there. Yeah, uh, I heard that uh, after that season, the team's ticket base, season ticket base, took the most precipitous drop wow. in as history, and it took a while. That 
Uh, and then when even even when Dalton came in the very next year, what a great season! Carson, yeah. Carson says adios uh, in January, and uh, everybody feels like they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And uh, Andy comes in and and takes them to the playoffs. Yeah, talk me through real quick, and I don't know how much you want to say or how much you even knew, but coming off that 2010 season, the fighting to the end season, so that was definitely, if the Bengals were ever going to fire Marvin Lewis, that was the year, I think. But they bring him back, and he kind of goes in the second phase of his coaching tenure with Andy and AJ. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So like there was obviously a big deal for the fans at that point, like really wanting Marvin fired, but Mike comes out, gives him the extension and like, all right, let's do it again. Do you remember conversations just feeling around the team of like things going on with Marvin getting re-signed that year? Cause I know it was a pretty big deal to people at the time. Yeah. uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, all I knew was that that I think it all happened in one day that Monday after the season just went on forever and there was no word about what was going to happen. And then either at the end of that day or at or early the next day, word came out from Mike that uh, he was going to bring Marvin back. I don't think he had to get a new contract. I think he probably got a contract. Yeah, but uh, Mike always tried and was was receptive media wise. And me being a former media person, I always had the attitude of be open and transparent and talk to the fans and don't go hide. And uh, Mike agreed to have the dual press conference with Marvin when he was going to bring him back. And that was just a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> that was really bad. What was it just kind of the writers kind of just asking questions like, why is this happening? And obviously you've got both of them up there sitting up in there having to take it, but what, what made it so bad? Everything was just negative and uh, nothing either one of them said produced even the slightest glimmer of optimism. Uh, it is amazing how the fan base comes back. Maybe, well, the power of the NFL to light up a town the size of Cincinnati is just uh, unmeasured. And we're certainly seeing it right now like we've never seen it. I mean, at least in our lifetimes. I mean, we were one, two years old the last time they went to the Super Bowl. So I guess how does just the sense in the city and just everything you're hearing and seeing, obviously you've been retired for four years now, but what's it like now compared to 1988, 89 back then? Well, I first came to Cincinnati in the fall of 83. And I distinctly remember. So this is uh, well over a year after the 81 Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And there were still uh, tiger-striped Metro bus running all over town. And you, you could still see and feel the uh, uh, 
dying uh, uh, tremors of the explosion of uh, fan uh, excitement and city excitement from 81. Uh, and a little bit of that came back in 05, back to the playoffs, just before the first playoff game, which, of course, was a loss. But there was a lot of excitement in town. What I've noticed most this year is people I know who normally, they're almost proud of don't care about football or the Bengals. But uh, they're on board now. They think it's all real exciting. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. anyone who had ever been on board for one season, one oh. second, oh, are the, uh, all there now. In in we're in uh, Carrollton, where I work at it, the Arby's has like Who Day up in their kind of marquee. You oh, know, really? in, in, in Carrollton, like, like over an hour away, you know, and there are even some, you know, I was back in my parents in Trimble County, a lot of like little Bengals flags, like hanging from houses and stuff so like it's definitely a, a thing and you know I, I've told Brett before the the fan composition in Louisville is a little different you know because right. always had sort of the impact and the Colts were always on forever and ever and ever um, but then you know and, and the Steelers have always oddly had a pretty big presence up here but you know I've seen a lot more of the Bengals now you know especially that we're here yeah Louisville is a tough town for the Bengals to take over yeah yeah. Well, I've got a bunch of just various stories, other things. Bo, I know you had a couple other questions. Is there anything uh, you want to ask at this point before we kind of just start rattling into some uh, funny stories and things of a lot? So uh, out of all of, I guess we can talk 90s, Marvin years, any sort of player coach you were cl close to, um, which player or coach would you, uh, how did I put this? Um, do you wish had an opportunity to play in a Super Bowl? If you could transplant one of them in their prime onto this team. Oh, because they were a great guy or because of their. Uh, uh, oh, I would say go, 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 go more with the great guy. Well, I'm going to go back and look, look at some rosters here. Uh, Love that you've got the books there. What do you yeah. got a media old media guide there? Yeah, this is an old media guide. This uh -huh. is the uh, 18 media guide after I left. Uh, Which we spent several, several hours and hours and hours working on those uh, each each off season. Yeah, and one thing about all those first-round playoff losses in PR, you just kill yourself getting ready for the first playoff game. Mm -hmm. And had there ever been a second one, a lot of that work would have been done. It would have been really nice. Yeah. It happened. Uh, shoot. I, there's so many players, really most of them I really liked. Uh, Car I like Carson. I know I get, I never rooted for Carson to do well when he left just because of competitive reasons, because how he really dissed the team. But I always liked Carson. I still like Carson. It was only professionally that I felt like I had to root against him. I'm just looking at all TJ Hushmanzato is a yeah. tremendous, interesting guy. Everybody loved uh, Willie Anderson. Did I say Rudy Johnson? Rudy Johnson oh, was yeah. uh, 
as down to earth and likable as uh, anybody you would have wanted. Uh, a couple of guys we always loved when I was there that, you know, they weren't like the best players in the world, but always very, very solid was the pair of receivers, Muhammad Sanu oh, and Marvin Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a guy, definitely one of my all personally one of my time favorite Bengals, Cedric Benson. Uh, yes, yeah. rest in peace. But yeah, he was and a fellow, te- fellow University of Texas guy like yourself. Yeah, said uh, didn't give a rat's ass about Texas. I could tell <laughs> anymore. Uh, but said uh, had a, uh, I mean, he had his problems. But I think a lot of what was brought on him was uh, not his fault. Uh, uh, like with the Bears and whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A uh, a human quality that. It exceeded almost all other players that broke down the barrier of I'm a star player in the NFL and you're just like a support guy with the team or whatever. Uh, had a uh, human feel for everybody and, and the media all, all really liked him because he was very uh, honest and expressive uh, Whitworth. Just gonna, I was just yeah. going to bring up Whitworth because obviously he's playing for the Rams in mm-hmm. what will likely be his last game. So an interesting one for him, I'm sure. Like He's either going to go out winning a Super Bowl or lose it to the Bengals. Mm-hmm. And everybody liked Whit. Uh, you, you, uh, you, you could not like him and respect him. Uh, just a really a tremendous guy. Leader of the team. Uh, Another leader at that point on the defensive side, and I think you'd agree, sheer delight, Domita Pecco. Yep, yep, definitely a leader and a good guy. I don't know who else here. Da, 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 da. Not, not Carl Pickens. <laughs> no, not Carl Pickens. Uh, <laughs> we'll just leave that at that. Yeah, but, uh, let's just leave that at that. All right. And uh, uh, Dylan, uh Corey Dillon made my life miserable. (laughs) But uh, Corey came back a couple of years ago. Uh, Hobson got a hold of somebody or he came back for a reunion or something. And uh, all you have to do to get people back on your side is admit that you might have made a mistake or something. And Corey basically said, yeah, I guess I was kind of a dick when I was there, but I, I'm sorry if I, and, uh, uh, you know, he was a guy with a troubled past and, uh, uh, like a few people in Bengals history, when the teams weren't good, a star player with a lot of talent, but who didn't at that point have the maturity, uh, and the settled confidence to be the bell cow of the team and get all that media attention. Corey was one of those guys. And I, I'd like to have, I don't know whether Corey drinks, but I'd like to have a beer with Corey sometime and just uh, talk about things. Uh, Tabari told us about the the record breaking game in 2000. Yeah. So we talked through that with him, but um, well, I actually do have one more question before we kind of get into just some random stories. So, 
you know, you covered the team for nine years as a reporter before becoming PR director. And, you know, I'm obviously someone who's worked for you and kind of see how the inner workings work on both sides. Now, I know it's rare for a newspaper man to jump into that role as PR director. So I guess for you, what was that transition like? And uh, obviously you already, you knew what to, what you needed as a writer and had the respect of all the writers, but just, I don't even know if I've heard you talk about this much, but would just kind of love to hear about that, making the jump from reporter to team PR director. It was, a, I don't know, at, at that time, 1994, it was really rare then. Uh, but it was... Uh, Oh, kind of a Bengals unique situation or something. Uh, I always had a good relationship with Mike Brown when I was a beat writer. He uh, he understood the independence of the media and that you had to be critical sometimes. And uh, Paul Brown before him liked the independent media and realized that they were not a mouthpiece for the team. Uh so uh, got along well with Mike and uh, Tim Sullivan, the Inquirer columnist for many years, who now is in Louisville. I'm yeah, sure. uh, yeah, yeah, Courier Journal. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in the media mix for several years before it happened, he'd tell me, he'd say, Mike Brown's going to hire you as the PR director when, when Al Heim retires. And I was like, I don't know, maybe. And uh, uh, I guess about a year, I really missed being in the media. Uh, there were a lot, I love being in the media. I respect the media. The chance to go to work with the Bengals was just uh, too good to pass up for many, many reasons. And of course, uh, the good jobs in the media have uh, kind of dwindled since then. But when I was the Bengal beat writer, uh, Doherty and Sullivan were both at the Inquirer as columnists. And I was like, well, I've gone as far as I can go here. They're not going to hire another columnist. And neither one of these guys seems to be leaving. Tim did leave, but of course they never filled that second columnist role. So so I definitely decided that going to the Bengals was a, a move I had to make. And I, not that I regret it in any way. Uh, it, still, there was a special feeling about being in the media. And, uh, but I guess it was about a year before Al Heim, the prior PR director, retired. I went into Mike's office and just said... Uh, Hey, I just want you to know, just wanted to tell you that whenever Al retires, I'd be interested in the job. And he, I don't, he, he didn't say, but 30 words. He just said something like, well, thanks for, I'm glad to know that. And I walked out of there knew and knowing that, yes, he would offer me the job when Al left. And still, it was a strange move. Uh, I was uh, in the same place. I'd always worked with all the same people, but I was yeah. in a different job. But uh, 
there's nothing I like more than uh, hanging around and drinking beer and doing gags with media people. Mm. And so I was able to uh, maintain that uh, good relate, good fun relationship with the media people, the Bengal, the Brown family. And this all came from Mike uh, was not at all heavy handed in uh, any instructions to me on how to deal with the media. So they pretty much let construct the atmosphere as I saw fit. And they knew and Mike knew that I was going to stick up for the media's interest. And sometimes Mike would get on me a little bit. He'd say, uh, oh, well, uh, you wanted to do this for your media friends. And I would say, uh, I know who's signing my paycheck now. And I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this friends because I think that's the best thing for the team and uh, he would uh, generally be receptive to that argument there you go well you mentioned gags and obviously uh, one of my favorite things working with you was obviously uh, doing gags and just messing around in the media room but before getting into that I have a quote that I think is very applicable right now from Todd Jones from the Columbus Dispatch from that same article from Hobson. And I would agree with this to a T. Never have I had more fun around anyone, but also never been around anyone more professional. So I think that's very telling that you cultivated such a fun environment on a daily basis for, you know, your staff like your staff like me and then the writers and everyone. And it was just a, a fun time to be around. And uh I won't. I will be remiss if I don't mention your 2006 Pete Rozelle Award for the best uh, public relations department in the NFL. Uh, thank you. I hadn't thought about that during this conversation either. But uh, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, uh, of course, that was voted by the Pro Football Writers, and it wasn't just me. It was the whole department. They give yep. it to the department. So yep. Jay Combs and Inky Moore certainly were a big part of that also but uh i didn't anticipate how rewarding that would be uh i got congratulated for that for darn near a whole year <laughs> various people so uh always very grateful to the uh writers for that and it was a great experience well here's a fun little story i always remember um we were in pittsburgh i believe it was 2014 sunday night football it was the game that Antonio Brown stomped on Kevin Huber, essentially, and we just got our asses kicked. And I remember we were down in the tunnel, like towards the end of the game, and it's freezing outside. We're getting ready to go out for the end, and Bob Costas walks by us. It's me and you, and then Bob Costas and his people walking towards us, and he says, hey, Jack. And you're like, hey, Bob, and you turn to me, you're like, well, look at that. Bob Costas knows who I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was a little bit of a feather in my cap. Yeah. Was, uh, that came from all the uh, – we'd have to do meetings every week uh, with the TV broadcast talent, uh, players and whatever. So uh, I got to know uh, a, a bunch of those people that way. And uh, I think Bob Costas uh, 
impression is a lot like Chris Collinsworth, uh, just a totally well-liked, famous guy who could be all full of himself, but basically is not. Absolutely. When mm-hmm. I saw in Butch's article, it said you you led 374 production meetings in your tenure. Wow. And I don't even have a specific story here, but I remember, I think it was Indianapolis maybe for that playoff game. Maybe not, but it was, I was just a fly on the wall for Al Michaels talking with like you and PJ and Butchie. We were, it wasn't even in the meeting. It was outside the meeting. And for me personally, just hearing Al Michaels just talk about whatever and he couldn't have been cooler it was just a really cool thing mm-hmm. and obviously you interacted with all those guys all the time so yeah i uh al michaels is uh i mean i never knew al michaels but al al had an interest in cincinnati because he was in cincinnati uh I can't remember what he did. Yeah, but, yeah, he might have been a Reds announcer at some yeah, point. Yeah, that sounds familiar. But, yeah. So he had some Cincinnati background and always enjoyed talking about things. And uh, Al told me once I wrote the best news releases in the league. Well, hey, how wow. yeah, no, what a compliment. How nice Al to do that. And he was, mm-hmm. Al was always uh, extremely nice to me. You got to set the scene, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about this one. Oh, we'll beat this team. <laughs> <laughs> Do people really care about that one? I care about it now. <laughs> yeah. You teed it up pretty good. I think it, it's a funny story. <laughs> you don't necessarily need I to do. use specific names, but it's just a funny, bad Bengals. funny little story that Brett yeah. okay. always enjoyed. Uh John Lloyd was a lawyer in town. Uh, he was uh, really tight with Paul and Mike Brown. And he used to hang around uh, practices and he was always welcome. And he liked to talk to the media. And I was a writer at this time. And we would predict the score of the game every week in the, in the paper. And it was the fourth game of the year. And I went up to, they were going to, I said, they were going to play the Vikings. And I just said to John Lloyd, I said, John, I've, uh, I've missed on my prediction, uh, predicted the wrong team to win uh, each of the first three weeks. What do you think is going to happen this week? And John goes, oh, we'll beat this team. <laughs> and 42 to seven. Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon. Who was this team? Was it Oakland? Rich Gannon? Or it was the Vikings. Vikings. Prior Rich Gannon. To- yeah. yeah, I was on Rich Gannon's Wikipedia page last night for some reason and saw that. So serendipity there about that. Yeah. I got to know Rich when oh, yeah. the TV games and a very nice fella. Mm-hmm. It's about the escalator. I didn't come up with I didn't make that up. I think it, it was either my uncle Tom or Bill Cook. Now, yeah, I, I don't think, know what I think Bill Cook take credit for that. But yeah. Uh, and well, that was the a lot of PR people, guys with pure PR backgrounds, real club guys. Uh, they wouldn't, they would have gotten mad or, or couldn't have, couldn't have enjoyed that gag. But I, and of course, it was that big long escalator at Paul Brown Stadium 
uh, down at the, what is it, the south end, east corner. Everybody knows that long escalator. And when they lose in games, and it'd be like early in the fourth quarter and people just coming down that escalator and droves the, uh, the media named it the escalator. Oh, the yellow. <laughs> <laughs> It's always a good one. I, uh, I enjoy the humor in that. Yeah, yeah I, I just wanted to get that because I tell people, and Bo is similarly one of the funniest people I know. You are also one of the funniest people I know. So I just wanted to get some of these out. Uh, mm. How about the fortune cookie? <laughs> the this fortune is one of your. This is one of your best. I do love this, and well, some of these people are, are going to know Jeff Hobson a little bit. The, and really, all this stems from Jeff. If, if there's a unique personality in the media, a guy who uh, media people from Maine to California like to do with and do jokes about, it is, and, and who enjoys jokes about himself. Yes. And, and uh, Hobson, of course, was always too. There was, there was a time, hard to believe in the later years, but we'd all leave and go out to lunch during the middle of the day when it was over at Spinney Field. But Jeff didn't go with us that often because he was uh, always felt he was too busy. Just grinding. Even though Jeff was, was and is a tremendous beat writer and newsman, his mantra always was, I suck. <laughs> And uh, and we went out uh, without him to eat Chinese food for lunch one day. And one guy at the table, uh, Joe Cunningham of the Dayton Daily News, somehow he figured out how to get the fortune out of the uh, cookie without breaking it. And Hobson loves all kind of crackers and cookies. He'll just uh, eat them compulsively. So I had the idea, I took the fortune and it said something like, uh, I don't know, you will experience a great epiphany in the near future. Mm -hmm. And I scratched out everything but you. And then I wrote, suck. So the, <laughs> the fortune said, you suck. And Joe Cunningham slipped it back into the fortune cookie and we took it back to Spinney and gave it to Jeff, and uh, he opened it up and looked at the fortune and thought it was quite amusing. Oh, that is a good one. Um, so I do have a non-football thing, but I did want to see, Bo, if you had anything else to ask, Jack, before I transition real quick. I know, uh, unless if they changed the lucky numbers on the fortune in there, you know, to his most unlucky numbers. Ocho, so and, Ocho and Cinco. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, which aren't that unlucky numbers. As you know, Jack, that we are primarily a wrestling podcast. We do a lot of other stuff, too. But I'd be remiss if I did not ask you about your time in Memphis and your three-part story covering Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got that sitting in this little drawer here. How about that? I remember you brought it in for me one day, like all three parts, the original article and everything. The Lawler drawer. You guys don't know Chip Namius, do you? No, mm -hmm. I don't think he, so. He was a former NFL 
PR director and he really liked wrestling and I kept, he wanted me to send him this and I never have. Well, I worked in Memphis. We didn't ever really cover the wrestling that much. We ran one graph of the results every week, but Lawler was huge in Memphis because of his stardom. And I can't even remember why I called him up. Uh, I had some news-related reason to call up Lawler, and somebody had his phone number, so I reached him. But somehow during the conversation, we just got going, and he started telling me his entire life story of how he became a wrestler. He didn't know me really at all. Yeah. I can remember days in the newsroom, I was writing my notes with a, with a pencil on white copy paper, and I was on the phone, and I, keep, I kept waving to my colleagues, bring me another pencil. I've run out of on this one and this one. And uh, so I was able to turn that into a huge three-part uh, Lawler, and uh, I've still never met Jerry Lawler. Wow. So it was all over the phone then. It was all over the phone. Uh, and I actually, well, I don't think this was a uh, category with a whole lot of entries in it, but uh, I won the, uh, that, that series won the United Press International Tennessee 1982 Award for Best Sports Series. About that, about <laughs> international in Tennessee in the same, in the same award this is great. Waller was certainly an interesting guy to talk to, and he's still in in the wrestling game, right? Yeah, so he was an announcer for a very long time, and he's still in WWE. He does they he, they trot him out there for like pre shows, like they it's all like a big production now. So he's not like a weekly announcer anymore, but he's certainly still involved today. What? 40, well, I'm not a, 40 I'm years not a, later. I, I can't call a wrestling fan today, but I've probably told you. I was when I was a kid. Mm. I was a big wrestling fan. And can I tell you about the Ox? <laughs> Please. No, <I'm> do it. <laughs> this was local Dallas wrestling back in the 60s. And the Ox was this guy, big, huge. 6'10", 350 pounds, and he he professed to be kind of a real dull, dumb guy, and he'd walk into the ring in army boots and fatigues and an army fatigue hat, but it was like the, the ox didn't even quite know why he was there. He didn't really want to wrestle. He didn't have anything against anybody, but of course, they'd, they'd put him in there against one of the bad guys, and the bad guy would just kill and humiliate and disrespect for like 15 minutes. And finally, you know what would happen? He finally would get the ox so mad that the ox would just use all his physical powers and just destroy him. And so I was a fan of the ox. And uh, Love it. Very, it was very disillusioning to me when I found uh, Wrestling was how do you wrestling people? Say? Let's call it scripted. Let's say scripted. <laughs> it was scripted. And, uh, I, I, 
but I did, I loved wrestling enough. And you guys probably know this. I don't know whether you liked it, but I love the movie, the wrestler. Oh, with yeah, Mickey yeah. Rourke. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I, that's that'd make my top 30 all time favorite movies. Cause I thought that really portrayed the pro wrestling life. And especially like in a small, you know, not in WWF, yeah. like a small, like every man wrestler who's not making a lot of money. And yeah, I love that movie too. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. We've had a lot of like people interviewed a lot of wrestlers like that who have been kind of journeymen, you know, on your, I guess not a lot means two, but, yeah. <laughs> but guys that like aren't yeah. in WWE that have had to kind of scratch and claw and it's, it's definitely real. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're on wrestling, I guess we got to thank you for uh, helping us set up the interview with Alex Marvez last yeah. year as well, because that was our our first interview. And yes, uh, I know he's definitely a good longtime friend of yours. Absolutely, Alex, both in uh, uh, football and wrestling. Uh, Alex was on the Bengal beat for a while. And of course, Alex, not a real conventional looking guy, not a real conventional looking sports writer, but uh, Mike Brown loves Alex. Oh, yeah. He yeah. loved Alex when he was on. And there was, and then Alex left and started doing his other wrestling stuff and did his pro football for Fox at least once, maybe twice when I was PR director. And Mike's time with the media was kind of jealously guarded and it was doled out to try to be in a fair way to everybody. And, uh, but there were a couple times when Alex wanted to talk to Mike about something that was newsy or controversial. And as much as I love Alex, I would go to Mike and say, uh, I know you love Alex, but I would recommend you not do this so as not to make the other meeting mad. But Mike was always like, fuck it. I feel like talking to Alex and I'm going to talk. <laughs> Mike How about that. Mike didn't say, well, he might have said fuck it one time. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, Mike, a big fan of Marvin is. That, that's, uh, that's interesting. That Marvez um, charm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, he does Mar- charm. No Marvez Marvezilis, as Bo called him when yeah, we were, yeah, yeah. He still hasn't seen Demolition did. Man though. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll wrap it up here soon, but sure. I want to also say that you you and I uh started playing tennis a lot earlier this year. And uh what would you say my record was against you? <laughs> I don't know about Two and eleven. Yeah, I was gonna say about like three and twelve or two and twelve. I couldn't remember if I won two or three, but yeah. you, uh, a, a, a retired gentleman out there kicking my thirty-four-year-old ass uh, week in and well, week yeah, out. Yeah, but you, you hadn't played much, and I, I have always kept playing. So uh, I, it was, uh, I was great the way you kept coming back for more, and uh, I think that just shows. Uh, Tennis is a great sport. Tennis, competitive, fun, athletic. Uh, All you wrestling fans, if you want to take something up, start playing a little tennis, and Mm -hmm. and you can play it uh, until you get to be really old like me. And still beat young guys week in and week out. And still occasionally beat a young guy week in and week out. 
process with my one of my son and sons-in-law who was kind of like you I hadn't played much and uh, I just killed him but he kept playing and now I I couldn't win a set off him to save my life well I do have one one little story here that I had written down that I figure listeners and people Bengals fans will enjoy that Every time, at least in my two years there, we played the Patriots both seasons, one of which I got to go to the game in in, or in New England, which was the we're on to Cincinnati game, and we got our asses kicked. But um, this was obviously coming on the heels of deflate gate and all that Patriots filming and cheating type stuff. But uh, Marvin and the team definitely were a little tighter at, so I would have to oversee the practices and uh, Marvin was definitely a little tighter with everything during Patriots week each year for sure. And a story I know the scribes loved that. So we were practicing in the stadium. Typically we practice on the practice field, but I'm in the South end zone with all the media and Marvin is on 120 yards away from me on the complete other side of the stadium And usually the media got, you know, 20 minutes or so of time that they could be out there filming or watching practice. And like I said, Patriots week, Marvin didn't want him out there as much. So I just specifically remember a time, and Jack, I'm sure you remember this because I told you it was from 120 yards away, uh, Marvin had had enough of the cameras being out there. So he just screams, (laughs) I just know that was one that people always (laughs) love. Yeah, that that was not one to debate with him. No, that was not. (laughs) Well, Jack, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts, anything you want to get out here about the Bengals since then, just about this season? I don't know. How's it it been watching for you since you've been retired? Just in general. Yeah, it's just been fun to see the city get lit up about the Bengals. Uh, Cincinnati's home to me now. I've been here 38 years or something, and uh, all three of my kids still live here. So, uh, And I, uh, I I love where I live, Cincinnati, big Clifton fan. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I'm happy for Cincinnati uh, that this is happening. And like I say, I have said in these – sports tournaments like the NCAA basketball and whatever, uh, re- even re- regardless of what happens against the Rams Sunday, by beating the Chiefs, the Bengals bought the city two weeks of enjoyment and hype and excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you win that game, uh, enjoy all the lead up to the next round. Absolutely. I mean, and as fans, it's just been, it's been surreal. I mean, yeah, I still work for the team at the home games and everything, but you know, I'm more a fan of course now than I was when I worked with you, but. And and I've thought like, you know, winning the Super Bowl is going to feel great, but I've also at this point, you know, obviously I've never known what it feels like, you know, to win the Super Bowl as a fan of the Bengals, but this will always feel like, like you said, a special kind of different, you know, with the hype, with the anticipation, um yeah and with it being so unexpected yeah. and out of nowhere like this yeah. to say, you know we waited for 31 years to win one playoff right. game right now we've won three and we're somehow in the fucking super bowl so yeah. it, it's fun it's it still feels bottled up 
a little bit like yeah. you know the hype without the release the release is going to feel some kind of nice but right now it's that kind of very kinetic uh bottle well, up kind of nice that makes me feel excited with the Bengals win on sunday we'll all uh enter a world which no one has ever occupied that is very true and just to go back to the beginning here before we let you go you did say you expected a Bengals win you got a you got a score pick for us uh i don't have a score pick i'm predicting a Bengals win i uh i'm not an an avid better but i enjoy betting lines and uh and following the lines and this year, well, with uh, with my guy Dan Katz, you know, oh, yeah. he's another former intern. He's all very expert about betting. But I started this year in the first round of the playoffs. I made a mythical bet against the spread in every game for a mythical hundred dollars. Okay. Two hundred, and the next round I went to three hundred, and I'm going to go five hundred on the Super Bowl. But oh man! First three weeks, uh, I'm uh, I'm twenty dollars ahead. So it's okay, almost, it's almost been a wash. Yeah. Well, hey, that uh, to to give you another quote from someone you mentioned earlier, not by name. It's better to win them than lose them. Right. Mm-hmm. I thought I had lost the uh, Rams 49ers game. I thought I had uh, given up uh, three and a half, but but I only actually only gave up three. So that one wound up a, a push and put me back at even. No. Well, thank you again so yes. much. This has been amazing. Uh, so many great stories. Uh, looking forward to getting this one out. It'll probably be later this week, but uh, you want to give us a little who day here? I'm not a, I'm not, I've never been a big who day. I knew you were. I knew you were. I had to try and ask. No, I started a, I never was in position to be one. I started as a uh, impartial news reporter, and then I worked for the team. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, no, sorry, I'm not a who day guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not officially. I'm not predicting a Bengals win. I'm predicting a cover. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. So that changes things. Okay. But do I think? All right, I am predicting a win. I think they'll win. Okay, so do we. Yeah, so do we. Yeah, I I don't think the Rams shakes, and I'm just not sold on Stafford. Let's go win a fucking Super Bowl on Sunday and put the town in a whole new uh, place it's never been.